Do you remember when the Thriller video premiered? Oh, oh, oh yes. yes. Everybody went home. Everybody, Everybody. was home watching it. It was Everybody. like waiting for a movie premiere. I mean, right. it was yes. it was an event. Right. Yeah. It was Even an event. my husband, who was the Midwestern rock and roll dude, who did not give a fig who Michael Jackson was, left the party so he could go home <laughs> and watch the Thriller video because yeah. there wasn't a person who didn't go home. Hello, world. is a song that we're singing. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who used a rotary telephone to dial 8675309. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we will be saving the origin story of our most Gen X form of entertainment, MTV and the music video. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. In the movie Music and Lyrics, Hugh Grant stars as an aging has-been heartthrob whose signature move is a George Michael-style rump shaker that still makes his now-middle-aged fans squeal. The movie opens with a music video parody, featuring a keytar, a flock of seagulls haircut, pretend walking into a green screen sunset, a broken heart that sends Hugh Grant to the hospital, a chesty nurse, and a triumphant dance party in the emergency room after Hugh Grant's heart is revived by the chesty nurse. It's lovingly skewering the entertainment of our generation. We are the music video generation. If you were born in the vicinity of 1965 and 1975, music videos were made for you. These were our stories. They were dumb and cheesy and dramatic, sometimes completely nonsensical, but they were always irresistible. How many memories do you have that are attached to music videos? So many memories. So many memories. Mm -hmm. I feel like, you guys, MTV began right in a sweet spot for me music-wise. I was in the seventh grade in 1981 and 82, and MTV started in 81. Um, So I think I caught it maybe in its second year. Mm -hmm. Um, My best friend, Kristen Hanneman, um, who might be listening to this. So if you're listening, Kristen, hey, uh, in Richfield, Washington had MTV. So she lived in my neighborhood and I would spend so much time at her house and we would just, oh my gosh, we would have sleepovers. We would stay up all night trying to watch. Um, it almost dictated our schedule, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. waiting mm-hmm. for the videos to come on. Yeah. And for us in particular at the time, our lives completely centered around Duran Duran at the time in like yeah. 82 to 84. As it should. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not apologizing for it. Uh, and so those memories of waiting for every Duran Duran video to come on with Kristen yeah. are just, to be honest with you, those are probably some of the most like defining moments and memories of my childhood. Of your adolescence. Wow. Yeah. I know. It really, I think we are, like you said, we're in the sweet spot because we were approaching adolescence and in the heart of adolescence when MTV was reaching its nadir or when it was mm-hmm. just like being birthed into the nation. And for me, as a girl in, in the outskirts of sort of this no man land in the suburbs, to be able to see 
the people in Dexy's Midnight Runners <laughs> mm-hmm. yes! come on Eileen in their dirty overalls. It was like opening up a world for me to see other people and how they dressed quirky and how they had funny hair and different kinds of fashion that I did not see at Fred Moore Junior High. No. Right? We were all wearing the same exact thing and looking very middle of the road. But on these videos with the dirty overalls and... I, I could see something that was different, that I didn't have to be like that. I yeah. want them dirty overalls, too. Well, just imagine um, Karma Chameleon. Imagine Boy George yes. and all of his dreadlocked, ribboned glory. Makeup. And the that is with the, makeup the freakiest on. video yes. because yeah. they're like, it's like 18-something. It's on the Mississippi Riverbank. And yeah. I just rewatched it the other uh, the other night. And, you it know, the no women. The, it makes no sense at all. <laughs> right. The women in, like, the saloon outfits that are red, gold, mm-hmm. and green. And so every mm-hmm. time he says red, gold, and red, green, golden it, there's a close-up of the women in the red, gold, and mm-hmm. green. But the the video makes no sense. But to be able to see just that eclectic mix of people, and especially Boy George, Boy George, yeah. um, in 1980, what was that? Maybe two, three? I'm trying to think, think of the year 82. of Carmen Chameleon. Yeah, but, we didn't know what he was. Oh, we didn't what care. A, it almost we didn't was care. A, no. Oh gosh, he was the best. But expanding mm-hmm. our cultural horizons. I too lived uh-huh. in a very small town in Washington. Um, I mean, one stoplight. And so yeah. it was just, yeah, it was the coolest thing. Yeah, that mm-hmm. visual. I mean, that's what's so interesting to me when I think of some of those songs. If there hadn't been a music video, my recollection of those songs would be so different. Like, um, for sure. I was thinking of the video for um, Jay Giles' band, Centerfold. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. and- I have one image in my head of the song, and then with the video, of that's the one I have now, and I was just watching it again as we were um, re-watching some of these old ones, and I just thought, oh my gosh, I kind of thought that was cool, I think, and these girls are, (laughs) they weren't even very good dancers, and they certainly weren't super attractive, which is awful for me to say this, but they're dancing in like these baby doll nightgowns, but they're holding their school books, and they're walking up and down, and they're all sitting in class, and... um, Anyway, that's just that video. Whenever I hear that song now, that's what pops into you my head. You see the image. Yeah. Yes. You see the image. Okay. For another sure. another nonsensical video that is so bad that I love to watch it is Journey Separate Ways. Do you remember this? It no. was like It was like in a warehouse outside on the docks and they didn't have any instruments and they were doing like air piano and air drums. <laughs> And it wasn't just oh, air yeah. guitar. They were doing air everything. And you're like, why? Yeah. Why didn't, why couldn't you just have the instruments? It's yeah. so dumb. Well, most of Duran Duran's videos don't make sense as, as yeah. the same as most of the lyrics of their songs don't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. But we loved them anyway. I was all about the dance video. I was mm. all Janet Jackson all the time. Yes. All Michael Jackson all the time. And with Janet, you'd sit there and you'd wait. And if you were lucky enough to be at somebody's house where they had a VCR, you'd have somebody stationed to buy the VCR so that when the pleasure principle came on, you could start recording. (laughs) Right. Because that's the only way that you could learn the choreography. Of course. And And you had to, you had to do the choreography. Mm -hmm. We tried to learn the choreography to beat it. It was very difficult. But my friend Lisa Callan and I in high school did learn Mm -hmm. the choreography to Janet Jackson's When I Think of You, just the dance break at the end. She actually I did says, beat it. Doom, doom, I know doom, doom, Beat doom. It. I know Thriller. I used oh. to know Pleasure Principle. 
And I was also a fan. I was a really big fan of the story videos. Like, yeah. for instance, like, um, we've got, like, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which is the stupidest video ever. <laughs> and, like, it's such bad lip syncing even. But we just would cry. And I, I do remember being, you know, we were our little seventh grade critics because we actually would say, this is so stupid. This is so... But it was yeah. hilarious. But I loved the videos where there was sort of a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it went with the lyrics of the song, too. That was helpful. It yeah, was that was helpful. always helpful. <laughs> the story video. Yeah. I also loved just um, the peppy, just kind of fun ones that, 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 you know, something like, um, all the oh, go-go's and our so lips fun. are sealed. So yes. Oh, oh, yes. The cheerleading one, yeah. But I love just the fun ones that the go-go's are singing, <laughs> our lips are sealed. They're just in a car driving around a convertible singing, mm -hmm. having yeah. a great time. Yeah. That's and then, the life I wanted. I wanted to be driving around in a convertible singing that song. And it was yeah. just so cute. And then my other, another one that I love um, is, um, and I know I'm probably going to get criticized for this, but hopefully there's other people out there that love this one because it will never never not make me happy is wham singing wake me up before you go go and just oh, in yeah. you know just bopping around oh, yeah. and everyone's that dancing the and i love it dance if you heard any snapping that was me doing the george yeah. michael dance yes okay. the so the music video is responsible for expanding our knowledge of what a uh, what a song actually had to offer if you think about things like pretty much anything from purple rain offered me the story that maybe I didn't get from just the song. When you saw the video for When Doves Cry, you knew that there was some serious discord in Prince's house growing up, right? I didn't right. necessarily know that from listening to the song. I totally fell in love with Wendy. I wanted to be Wendy. Without a music video, without Kiss, without Raspberry Beret, where she's like front and center, she's like Prince's deputy, I wouldn't know Wendy. I wouldn't know who Wendy was or what she was for. I loved her outfit in Raspberry Beret. I love the little tie in her hair. And she has like this very feminine slash masculine suit on. I loved her so much. I wonder if songwriters during that period, once um, music videos were such an important part of the music industry at that time, if they wrote songs with that in mind, like how... Could this song make a good video or when they that were actually writing question. the songs? Like a Prayer oh, yeah. was one was another appointment I'll video. That the video was being released at a certain time on a certain day on TV and we all had to rush back home yeah. to watch Like a Prayer. And then when we saw what it was about, talk about controversy. There was so much Catholic imagery. So the Catholic Church had their undies in a bunch about it. Oh, yeah. Um, but there was no way to have your undies in a bunch without appearing racist. But you had to run home to catch the Like a Prayer debut. Um, okay, but that was not the one that I wanted to talk about. The okay. the one that I wanted to talk about was Sinead O'Connor's No One Compares to You. Oh, yeah. And it's very fashionable to say that Prince's version of that song is better, but because of the video, the Sinead O'Connor is the one that will live in my heart. Because if you remember, it's just her face, her face. the whole time. Yes. And she sings that song. She acts out the song with just the expressions on her face. And then That's she has right. the tear coming down her face. It was searing. It was searing. Yes. And then when my boyfriend broke up with me, my boyfriend, who is now my husband. Um, <gasps> oh. <laughs> that happened to Brian and I, too. Yes, that happened. That happened, but it's all good. Um, yeah, my boyfriend broke up with me, and I was, I, I was a broken woman, and I was at work one day, 
at my job at a front desk with customers, and that song came on. It's been seven hours and fifteen days since you took your love away. And the images from the video are in my brain. I had to get up and leave because I was crying. I could not function. I couldn't be like, hello, customer, here's the thing that you need. I was like, I'll be right back. And then I went in the back and I cried and I dried my tears. And then I went back after the song was done. Oh, my goodness. But it's because you had the image of that video. It wasn't just the song. It was what videos did to us. I mean, the visual aspect of it Mm -hmm. touched us in a, I don't know, just maybe a different, different different and deeper place. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was her face with that tear and she was feeling the way that I felt Mm -hmm. in that moment. And we have a lot of those. I think MTV did that for a lot of songs. I mean, certainly um, going to go back to Duran Duran because that's where it always comes back to for me. (laughs) But for real, you guys, like, you know, when I'm listening to my Duran Duran playlist currently on Spotify, um, There are so many songs that I cannot hear without picturing the video. And okay, fine. It's not just Duran Duran. But there are a lot of songs that just the the videos that we watched over and over again. The videos mostly that maybe that we that we related to that resonated Mm -hmm. with us for one reason or another. If it was because of this girls just want to have fun and it was stupid and, you know, the big wrestler dad and, you know, she puts him in the, you know, Mm -hmm. she twists his arm around and you're like, oh, that can actually happen. Um, (laughs) For whatever reason, there are definitely some songs that when we listen to them to this day, decades later, our mind is playing the video. Oh, Addicted to Love. I mean, for which ones? Addicted to Love, you know, with the girls playing the, Oh, yeah, it's not a, even a song right, without Robert the video. Yes. Right. It's yeah. not even a song without the mm-hmm. video. Yeah. yeah. Vacation, like the, the Go-Go's, Vacation. Yes, right. Oh, yeah. Hungry Like the Wolf. Um, did you mention that one already, Michelle? <laughs> Back to Duran Duran. Of course I okay, did. So my Simon Hungry Crawling like the on the Wolf. Ground, it's burned in my brain. I know. I saw the video before I ever heard the song on the radio. Oh, really? And that was really revolutionary to me. And he, it was so ballsy, This where they're crawling on the ground mm-hmm. in the jungle, and there's a tiger, and there's all this fast editing, and my heart is racing. And my friend Nicole had this poster of Duran Duran on her bedroom wall, and she was like, this is Duran Duran, and here's Simon Le Bon. He's very beautiful. He's my new boyfriend. I was like, no, I've not heard sorry, of this Sorry, he was Duran mine. Duran. Right. <laughs> you can share. <laughs> And then to see that video, to match it with the poster on Nicole's wall before I yeah. ever heard it on the radio, that told me that so- that the world was changing. For sure. I knew right then yeah. when I saw Hungry Like the Wolf that the world was changing. The bird, by the time, how would you even know there was something oh, yeah. called the bird? How would you even know how to do the bird? Right, to do the bird. If you didn't right. have a music video. How would you know about song. Jerome and Morris Day with the mirror? Right? How would you know that they did that without a music video? There's so much more that we know. What really makes sense is, you know, the homogenization of stuff. Because I was thinking, if Thriller hadn't been a video, we we would all probably have a different picture in our head of that song. Like, I would have never, what that video is, would have never been the story I put in my head as I was listening to the song. But because of that, we all have that same story for that song in our heads. Mm -hmm. And it's indelible. Yes. And it's the same for every single person. It is. Like pre all of that, you know, my Sean Cassidy song, you know, in my head songs Mm -hmm. or um, any of those songs pre that, even Barry Manilow. I mean, I kind of have pictures, but we might have different ones. And anyway, that's just. And they gave us more story. They gave us more to think about. They gave us more indelible images. 
This was clearly, clearly, clearly a huge part of our growing up for this very, you know, this this very specific age group. And so to dig a little deeper, we invited a special guest to be with us today, an expert of the day. Her name is Nancy Davis Coe, and she is the host of the Midlife Mixtape podcast. Every week, Nancy interviews Gen Xers and Gen Experts about thriving in the years between being hip and breaking one. They talk work, marriage, parenting, aging parents, and of course, music and books. And speaking of books, Nancy is the author of one of my favorites, The Thank You Project. As Nancy approached her 50th birthday, she decided to write 50 letters of gratitude to people who had influenced, encouraged, and helped her along the way. In her book, she details what that experience was like and encourages us to try something similar. We are so excited to talk with her today. Welcome, Nancy. We are so glad to have you with us today. I am so excited to be here today. I have been looking forward to this conversation for weeks. So oh, that's awesome. Do it. You're our yeah. people. Okay, yeah. you are here today because you are a legit music nerd. I say that with a lot of love and affection. Music is part of your identity. You have the word DJ in your email address. Your podcast is named after the beloved mixtape. And it even inspired the way you open each and every one of your podcast episodes, no matter who the guest is, no matter who the interview is or what the subject matter is. And so in homage to the midlife mixtape, I'd like to open this episode in the same way. Are you ready? I'm ready. So Nancy, please tell us. What was your first concert? So, Kristen, I'm going to turn this back around to you because there is actually a tie into today's episode. I always, I do always open the podcast with it. Let me tell you, I'm sure the epidemiologist who came on to talk to us about COVID was surprised. <laughs> and certainly the financial planner who I interviewed last week also surprised, but she had been to, I can't remember what show she went to, but I, it's like the great icebreaker. So, it really I, I, I love, love that question. However, in episode 33 of my show, I w had the opportunity to interview the great Martha Quinn, original MTV VJ. Amazing. Did you yeah. get Martha she's, Quinn? Oh, my God. She's so lovely. It's, I think it's a fun interview. She's just such a nice person. But she's the cons consummate interviewer. She used to be now on the right. other sides. So of course, yeah. she turned it around to me, and she was like, well, what was your first concert? So I answered that question in episode 33, and that's just a big tease to tell you <laughs> to go listen to that. Go listen to it. That's However, right. so I had my, I just celebrated my 55th birthday, and I spent the weekend of my 55th birthday the same way I spent the weekend of my 15th birthday, which is to <gasps> say thinking a lot about MTV and then watching a million videos, although yeah. this time I was watching on my phone rather than <laughs> in the TV, because I was so excited about, you know, the topic. And my older sister called me. I was saying, I'm going to be on this show and we're going to talk about MTV. And I'm so excited. And she said, do you remember the first time you saw MTV? And I said, yes. And this is a story that only a Gen X audience will relate yeah. to. I was 14 years old. My sister was a junior or senior at Syracuse University. I'm from Rochester, New York. I had a broken arm. I'd broken it in um, gym class, playing touch football. So my arm, and it was broken so high that I just had a sling on it. My parents, I'm the third kid, so this probably had to do with it. My parents were <laughs> like, sure, you can go visit Sally at college. We'll stick you on a Greyhound bus in Rochester, and you can oh go to Syracuse wow. University. So yeah. I'm a 14-year-old in a sling going to college <laughs> on a Greyhound bus. 
I get there, and one of the interesting things about MTV is when it started in 1981, it focused on, it started in small markets. It was not played in New York and L.A. and Chicago. It was like small regional markets where they could get onto a cable channel pretty cheaply, including Syracuse, not Rochester, but Syracuse had it. So my sister and I, sat, I sat in the sorority house with all these older girls watching MTV, which was like... I was hooked. And I hear very often when I interview people for my show, they're 14 or 15 when they go to their first concert and it sets them on a path. Like now they love country music yeah. or now they love mm -hmm. hip hop or whatever it was. I think that's why I liked MTV so much. I'm I'm Fun fact, Mike Nesbitt of the, uh, of the Monkees sold the idea for a music video channel to the people who would eventually go on to make MTV. Yes, Stop because it. this song, what are you talking mind. about? I mean, the monkeys were pretty early adopters of this kind of thing because let's, I mean, I don't want to diss their music, but they were definitely a made for TV band, even yeah. if there was no channel devoted to that. So Mike, is it Nesbitt? Nesmith. 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 Yeah. yeah. Nesmith. Uh, Michael Nesmith um, just said, like, I, I have this idea. I think he called it, like, music pops or something like that. And he, and he sold off the idea. He said, I didn't want to be associated with the channel, but I thought it was a really cool idea. And I'm sure he's probably, like, sitting in a, in a, in a mansion oh. in Calabasas, relaxing off the strength of that idea. So, um, yeah, they were He's got his whiteout fortune, so he's okay. <laughs> He's surviving he's on whiteout. White, he's a whiteout guy? His mother invented whiteout. What? Yes. What? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The more you know. We're on to fun facts here on the show oh, we today. We do, yeah. We should just have a little rainbow that goes shooting across <laughs> our logo rainbow. every episode. <laughs> but that's very interesting because I wonder how much of a hand he had in um, in making those little music musical montages in each monkey's show. Because that's what I was showing up for. I was yeah. showing up for the places where they, they were getting chased by the girls and running around in circles on the set <laughs> in fast motion while my favorite song was playing. That right. really was what I was showing up for. So that's does that mean, so could we, could we like draw a line then? from the monkeys to the creation of MTV? That was one of the factors. Okay. Another one was the fact that um, in the UK and in uh, Australia, New Zealand, this was something that was already starting to happen in the 70s too. They referred to it as filler material and they would get bands to just record stuff and send in these kind of really what we would probably call pretty lame-ass music videos, but it was starting to be something that bands did. And um, the big innovator who really kind of gave people an idea of what could happen is, St. Him, David Bowie. Because yeah. David Bowie obviously was a genius. And so if you go back, one of the one of the most influential videos for the people who were kind of figuring out what MTV could be was Ashes to Ashes. Yeah. If you go, mm -hmm. everybody, pause, go watch that video. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's still today an amazing video that he shot, you know, it's really conceptual. It's not just a band standing on stage playing. And it incorporates all this really beautiful visual imagery and kind of expands your understanding of the song, which is what I think the best videos do. They kind of add to it and uh, add to what you're uh, to what you're hearing. And so I think once he released that, that really got people thinking about how they could use 
a music video, not just as a capture of a performance, but something to boost sales of records, which was definitely what they were all there to do, um, but also just to kind of connect in a different way with the listener and the viewer. So, um, and the but the other band that off, often gets a lot of credit, and again, there's a tie-in, Split Ends, if you can, so these ladies are looking at me in my office uh-huh. in my crowded house, my crowded house corner, Split Ends became Crowded House, or, it, you know, the spinoff of Split Ends was Crowded House. So in Australia, they were doing, like, I Got You, which uh-huh. I'm sure you can I picture Neil you. Finn walking up the stairs mm-hmm. getting you. Um, <laughs> and they had, oh, History Never Repeats. And those were really early kind of arty videos that, again, I think started telling people that there's more to these little interstitial filler little, you know, music montages than just a band standing on a stage. Mm-hmm. And so are those released pre-MTV? What is our timeline? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. those were, I mean, Ashes to Ashes was 1980. The Split Ends ones I mentioned, I think, were also 1980. So, and then the other thing that was happening was bands that didn't want to go appear. I, I, Tom Petty uh, was supposed to go on the Merv Griffin show and didn't want to go, basically. <laughs> so they he was like, let's just do a you know, a video of us playing that song and we'll send that and see if that works. And it's, uh, you know, it was not meant for more than one viewing. It was supposed to be on the Merv Griffin show that one time or Merv Griffin and um, ended up like, I don't know what the song was, but that ended up becoming a pretty popular video. And so that, you know, it was in some ways a way to get the bands off the hook for having to do as much perform, uh, as many appearances like live live appearances on shows mm -hmm. right right so that was and then you got like the guys like 38 special doing their you know their concert video their videos are pretty low budget they're pretty just guys on stage because there was a period of time Mm -hmm. where it was still getting sorted out like what what are these going to be and so okay when they so when they made this filler material where did they, like, I understand Tom Petty was, that was broadcast on Merv Griffin because he was supposed to uh, be on Merv, Merv Griffin. But the filler material, where was that viewed? Did they go between shows on TV? Well, that one, um, there used to be, I think it was started a little earlier than MTV, something called Night Flight. That was a show on TV okay. that was on at like midnight and they would show videos. It was, you know, yeah, they just, it, I mean, it was considered kind of filler. It would be okay. between... Mm-hmm you know, at the end of a show before something else came on. I definitely remember seeing music videos before MTV happened, but it was nothing you could plan on and nothing, you know, there was obviously, it was all just happenstance. If you got to see one, you certainly didn't know where to go to get your favorite band's videos. I mean, MTV uh, premiered in August, 1981. So it, and it, and it really, it rolled out across different markets at different times. I mean, you guys remember the old, I want my MTV uh-huh. yeah. promotions. I mean, mm-hmm. the business side of this channel is fascinating because, first of all, their cost of goods sold was zero because they just went to every label and said, give us videos for free and we will promote your albums. So it didn't cost oh. them anything to get the videos. The only one they ever invested in was Thriller. For obvious reasons, okay. and they wanted didn't want to set the precedent that they would invest in making videos. So what they did was paid for a documentary about the making of Thriller, which was yeah. basically Thriller plus filler, and um, <laughs> all the choreography. That's the pieces. only thing they paid mm-hmm. for. So they had no 
cost wow. of goods sold. So that so that was wow. one part of their success. They did and, not and, pay for content, in other words. The no, record exactly. labels paid for all of those videos to be made and then provided them to MTV. Correct. And whenever, an wow. al- whenever a label set, you know, threatened, and they did, um, and I hope we'll talk about the lack of black representation yeah. at MTV initially, <laughs> but that was one of the one of the things that theoretically, I, I think there's a little bit of a he he said he said scenario, but um, Michael Jackson label said if you're not going to play this, we're not going to give you any more videos, <laughs> and and MTV says, well, we told them we really wanted to play, you know, whatever they're all trying yeah. to make themselves look good, but. Um, yeah, so they had no cost of goods sold. And then the other thing was they needed to get um, distribution onto all those cable channels because that was back in the olden days where there were 3 million cable providers all over the country, all regionally. You know, it was before they had all been consolidated. So they needed customers in those small areas or, or even in the larger areas because it wasn't in the cities initially mm-hmm. to call up their cable provider and say, we want MTV. And that's where they had the idea that they would get Mick Jagger and Cindy Lauper and like huge artists to do that. I want my MTV mm-hmm. clip. They pick a market, they target it with those ads and the phones would ring off the hooks and the, you know, from 14 year olds like me who had nothing better to do with their day than just <laughs> call the number that they was, that was on the screen. And then the cable provider would be like, okay, uncle, we will carry your channel. And so that's, and so their revenue came through advertising because okay. they had such a huge distribution network, eventually nationwide, obviously. But um, it's just interesting to me. I think they were very scrappy and they just yeah. kind of figured out what, what they could do. I think they were creative in figuring all of that out. Okay. Let's go there on the representation piece because yeah. mm-hmm. um it has always it has always seemed like bullshit to me because their argument was always, well, this is for rock and roll. This is this is a rock station, just like you would have a rock station on the radio and an R and B station on the radio. But the 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 beginning of MTV was not rock and roll. I mean, the very first video was the Buggles. the The next one I remember is um, is REM. This is not rock and roll. This is like new wavish. So it yeah, doesn't seem to me that that's a yeah that doesn't seem like a very good argument to me. No, it was a lousy argument. I mean, the folks who were behind the channel d- definitely did come from the rock broadcasting world or mm-hmm. neurocasting, as it were. But um, they told themselves, as in the in the Brene Brown t- parlance, <laughs> the story they told themselves was that they were a rock station and that therefore they should, you know, and own, if there were a black rock act, we would play it. And but there's not, and they did play the specials pretty early on, mm-hmm. which was a mixed band, mm-hmm. but that was about it. And I wanted to make sure we touched on this today because, again, my saint David Bowie really took them to task. There is an interview I would recommend you guys look at if you have not seen it lately or um, have never seen it, where he was on and talking to Mark Goodman. And honestly, I feel bad for Mark Goodman. He's not the policy guy. He's a VJ. Yeah. He's a hired hand. But the, And he was a kid. I mean, he was a Mark was, Goodman wasn't a kid. He was, oh, a, was, he was he? the one. Of, yeah, he was one of the older, more experienced. Martha Quinn was a kid. But Mark Is Goodman, this the guy with the curly hair? Yeah. The, yeah. With the, yeah. Okay. With the I thought he was throw. a kid. Yeah, the mullet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, the conversation between David Bowie and Mark Goodman is a masterclass in allyship. And it's worth looking at in 2021 because David Bowie never gets aggressive. He never blames him, but he asks him a series of leading questions. I wonder if you've thought about this. I wonder if you've thought about that. 
And in doing that, he just lays bare the complete hypocrisy of the policy, you know. And, and at one point, Mark Goodman says, well, you know, we're not, you know, you and I like black music, like we grew up with it. But, you know, we got to think about the teenagers, not just in New York and L.A., but in the middle of the country. Ouch. And David Bowie says, if I'm a black teenager in the middle of the country, I would relate to it. And it's just really, I, I mean, when I was struck over the weekend when I, that was one of the 800,000 videos I watched. Just how, like, I need to learn from that. Because yeah. those are conversations a lot of us are having about different things. We're not talking about mm-hmm. MTV. But it, it was never, um, you know, he, Mark was was on the defensive, but... Mm-hmm. It wasn't a terrible conversation. It was just kind of an exploratory conversation. And so, yeah, they basically would not budge on that. And then Beat It came out Mm -hmm. and was number one for weeks and weeks and weeks before MTV would agree to play it. It had already been proven in the market. I didn't know that. I thought it was a huge huge video hit. Oh, my God. Okay, here's here's another trivia fact for the listeners. What was the very first video played by an all-black group on MTV? I have no idea. It wasn't no idea. Beat It. Was it Billie Jean? Kn- Musical Youth, Pass the Duchy. <gasps> Pass the Duchy on oh, the left-hand the side. Pass the Duchy. Oh, my God. I love that song. It's got a little Caribbean flavor mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. So that, so, you know, that played, Beat It played, and... You know, you what are you going to do? Tell Michael Jackson in the early 80s that you're not going to play his music? He was the music industry oh at that God, point. Oh, my God. Seriously. Yeah. So, that was like all that I was listening to in that moment. I just was really struck by how, um, how he, you know, head in the sand the executives were about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then just over, you know, once they once they open the doors like they had told Rick James they wouldn't play Super Freak although they said that was because it was obscene which it was yeah but um yeah so I just really would love everybody to go look at that conversation with David Bowie it's Um, it you're right it is a really good example for us to follow because he's so measured and thoughtful in his questioning whereas mm -hmm. I'm I'm always like I'm very flustered like yeah but yeah but (laughs) right and I'm trying so hard and I need his energy is really like he's really listening he's not Mm -hmm. gonna He's not going to be, you know, let his point go, but right. he's totally respectful the whole time. And when I look back at, um, when I look back at my own video memories, I mean, some of the first things that come up, obviously Michael Jackson, you mentioned Rick James, my God, Prince, Sherelle, these are the people that I was waiting for. And mm-hmm. I was right. a white girl mm-hmm. in the suburbs of Minnesota. Right. And so this is the thing that I think is interesting about storytelling in general, and I think about this a lot as a podcaster and as a writer, I think about representation all the time. Like, how can I make sure that the people I have on my show are representing a broad, you know, a broad array of experiences with midlife? So Mm -hmm. my show is all about, you know, the years between being hip and breaking one. I experience it one day. I'm a middle class white lady on the West Coast, you know, I I don't want to just talk to people who look like me. I want to find out how other people are feeling about midlife. And and that's just my little, you know, bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. But wherever we are in the world and whatever platform we have, and maybe that's just you and your friends or, you know, your neighborhood or whatever, I don't think we should ever lose sight of how much it means for people to see lots of diverse stories and diverse voices because you don't yeah. know 
who's needing to see that, hear that, feel connected to that. And so, yeah, those teenagers in the Midwest who suddenly got to see, you know, Michael Jackson or Prince or whoever it was on their Mm -hmm. TV screens in their homes and seeing themselves represented Mm -hmm. in the music industry. People make assumptions about what people want. Right. And at the and the basis of those assumptions are racist assumptions, right? Like those people at MTV were making assumptions about what I wanted as a white Midwesterner, and apparently they were wrong. <laughs> they and those were, so those were racist assumptions that they had that I would not want to see a Prince video. Right. When in actuality, I was living for that video. I was sitting on that couch waiting for that video. Mm-hmm. And the fact is, even if you didn't want those videos, you because you weren't familiar with them, mm-hmm. you might have come to like them. Well, and also, you know? just because yeah, I didn't so. like it doesn't mean that somebody else doesn't want to right. see it. That it wouldn't right, have been right. of huge value to somebody else. Right. Yeah, there's really only one assumption you can make. Do you remember when the Thriller video premiered? Oh, oh, oh gosh. Yeah. Everybody went home. Everybody, Everybody. was home watching it. It was Everybody. like waiting for a movie premiere. I mean, right. it was yes. it was an event. Right. Yeah. Even my event. husband, who was the Midwestern rock and roll dude, who did not give a fig who Michael Jackson was, left the party so he could go home <laughs> and watch the Thriller video because yeah. there wasn't a person who didn't go home to right. watch it. Yeah. Which is such a foreign concept to our kids, like I to know. share well, the consumption that... of the same media at the, at the same, same time. time. And, yeah. And I mean, I started saying to you guys the I think even MTV the people associated with MTV understand that that channel contribute heavily to our loss of ability to concentrate and the great homogenization of culture across the country, because it used to be like Philadelphia used these words and dress this way and listen to this music. And Washington DC was different, slightly different. And which, you know, I would argue is a loss. It was nice when Mm -hmm. regional things could be, you know, a little bit more clearly defined but um, at the same time, like Michelle's saying, it was this night, like everybody knew what was going on. Mm-hmm, everybody. Yeah. And and for me, I actually, it's the When Doves Cry video. I don't know. I, I know I saw Thriller when it came on. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't remember loving it. But When Doves Cry premiered, I feel like I like collapsed to the floor a little bit because I loved Prince and the imagery and that. And I'm like, what even am I seeing here? <laughs> you know? Why do we scream at each other? Um, I, as a Catholic school girl um, growing up, there are um, some controversial videos that I was not allowed to watch or that were um, kind of shamed, and which made it all the more wanting of to course, watch them. Which is of why course. you snuck to your friend's house to watch. Oh, exactly, exactly. Um, of course, she did that with like a, a lot of things. The book Forever, <laughs> the book Flowers oh, yeah. in the I Attic. Did have to sneak a lot. <laughs> yeah. If my mother only knew, all you have to say, Mom, is, you know, don't do that. And you're I, not allowed. This is a straight shot. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, so, question to you were, what were some of those original kind of controversial videos? Um, I think of Like a Virgin and Madonna's. Mm-hmm. Um, a video. So Girls on Film was meant to be a porno shoot, really. Oh, the Duran Duran oh, wow. Girls on Film. And they mm-hmm. and if the the very funny I know we've got Duran Duran fans listening, <laughs> very funny interviews with the band members who that I've read where they're like, We couldn't believe they let us do that. And they <laughs> really conceived it to be as racy as possible to get the attention of American viewers. That was a very early, you know, song mm-hmm. for them. It is actually 
a perfect pop song too. It's a very good song. Yeah, I'm not even that that big of a Duran Duran oh, fan, even though it sounds like, like because whatever I was a product of my time. But um, that one was pretty bad. I would just I. I I don't know if I can. Rio's you know, pretty up. bad too. Rio's Which very one? sexy. Rio's yeah. very sexy. Is that sexy. the one on the sailboat? Yeah, that's the one with all the girls and they're pouring the paint and the water on yeah, them. Yeah, okay. All, yeah, and, my, and we were Simon my, Le Bon in the in the oh, banana hammock. Don't even oh, start with it. God. Kristen Hanneman and I would just <laughs> oh, it was so sexy, and we were huge. I'll get into that later, but um, <laughs> Duran Duran was just. Um, my I'm going to make a plug so. here for one of my favorite all time books by a writer named Rob Sheffield, who writes for oh, Rolling Stone. Yeah, his yeah, I've mm-hmm. read a book from yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. So he's got a book called Talking to Girls About Duran Duran. It's a book of essays, and it's not all about Duran Duran, but that's the opening essay. And it's, his thesis is basically he's our age. If you wanted to talk to a girl as a high schooler yeah, yeah. in the 80s, talk to them about Duran Duran because every Dude. one of them loved Duran Duran. And that was his, he was a music guy. So that worked for, he's a, he's kind of like a tall geeky looking guy, but for him that worked. And it's, it's a very, it, I love that book. Talk it's kind of brilliant. Book. It's a brilliant yeah. theory. Um, but what I was going to say, Carolyn is, you know, the, it, on the broader category of sexy videos, this also ties into the fact that, uh, you know, Gen X had parents who divorced at the highest rate of any generation before and Mm -hmm. since, because the divorce rate has actually fallen. So a lot of us were latchkey kids. And I just realized I'm wearing a necklace with a key on it, which was not even on purpose. Oh God. With your key? For sure. (laughs) Like I would go home there were no parents at home until five o'clock. And so Mm -hmm. I was getting a lot of information and a lot of influence from some very sexy videos because of course, you know, then and now there's so much sexism in the imagery in those videos. And, you know, thank God for all the women artists who have taken their, you know, taken their power and given us a counterweight for that. But, you know, if you had a nickel for every girl in a bustier in the videos in the eighties, we could have all afforded college for four years because it only cost $10 back then. Okay. You said to me one time, I learned everything I needed to know about being a woman from watching music videos. Is that what you were learning? I think it was. And I don't necessarily, when I say that, I don't necessarily consider that a good thing. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. I, mean, I was kind of getting to, again about representation. Oh, this is what I'm supposed to look like. I'm mm-hmm. and I'm supposed to have, mm-hmm. you know, lacy, you know, lace bows in my hair and high heels and whatever. And I, I have thought about that, about how that was really sexualized imagery for an impressionable mm-hmm. kid and there wasn't a lot. Uh, there wasn't a lot of um, counterweight to it. I mean, Pat Benatar was mm-hmm. great. Joan Jett. You know, there were there were women who were you know approaching it from a position of power, a position of strength. But even they, you know, I mean, it's the age old story in the music industry. They want to sexualize. Right. They mm-hmm. want to sexualize women, and they leave men alone for the most part. Right. Of course, Duran Duran did all did all that makeup to themselves, but. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so I have I have just one more question for you, Nancy. Oh God. You're on a desert <laughs> island and you can only have one video to watch. Which one is it? I got you. I split <gasps> ends. Obviously. You're going back to obviously. I got you. That's all I want. I go 
I mean, yeah. I'm true to my school. I have been a Crowded House, Neil Finn, mm-hmm. Split Ends fan since the jump. And Catch the uh, Deluge in a Paper Cup. Best lyric yeah. ever written. Catch oh the Deluge gosh. in a Paper Cup. Uh, you know, so many great lyrics. Mm-hmm. I was, if you had asked album, I would have made a different no, totally different question. Yeah, no, Because no. you have to watch video. this. And it's you have only to watch one the video, song. yeah. It's what do you want to see. If I'm okay. forced to watch, you know, a, a young new belt Neil Finn singing to me for <laughs> the rest of my days, that's fine. What oh. would you guys pick? Oh. Uh, but I was going to say, I mean, the one thing I also want to leave the conversation with is how exciting it is that the videos keep evolving. Because I was thinking last mm-hmm. night, like, if you ask me what my all-time favorite video is... It's formation because oh, Beyonce yeah. taught a lesson in that video. And also Childish Gambino, This Is America, like an amazing video. And, yeah. and you know, just the the way that the form has continued to evolve and the way that it's, you know, Beyonce obviously is kind of the leader in making her music. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's designed for multimedia consumption. Like right. Lemonade, you have to watch it to hear the music. And um, I just think that's really interesting and exciting. We're consuming so, it in a much different way. So it's not right. handed to us in the way that it was. If I had, right. so on my desert island, my, my, um, my knee-jerk reaction is Rhythm Nation. Because... Have to because I have to look at the choreography and then I have to mm-hmm. stop it and then I have to like learn how to do it right because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do too. Rhythm Nation with Janet Jackson because we are mm-hmm. sisters. It's so hard to pick one video, but you guys, I just I would be betraying my 13 year old self if I didn't pick a Duran Duran video. But be. which one do you pick that you want to watch over and over again? Mm-hmm. And that's very difficult. And so. <sighs> I can't do, I can't cheat and say, too, I'm going hungry like the wolf. And I'm going hungry like the wolf because Simon was mine. Simon was our, my, in my friend group, we all were assigned. We all had one member. <laughs> yep. And can't even share. though now as an adult, I'll go yeah. back and realize that John and Nick are actually more attractive. When I was 13, 14, a hundred percent no, Simon was the Simon. only you know, one right. for me. And he's crawling. I'm oh, hungry like the I wolf. Know. Oh, that's yeah. so I'm going hungry like the wolf. Carolyn, what's yours? What's your desert so, island pick? My fa- favorite music video would be um Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark when he pulls Courtney Cox up on stage. First of all, I love Bruce Springsteen. I lived in New Jersey, knew him before you all did kind of a thing. Um, but I just, I was Courtney Cox. I, I had her, I wanted her hair. I wanted those 501 jeans, Levi's and the cute little cutoff, oh, just everything. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and my friends, we just loved it. It was just fun. So um, that's what I'm going to go with just because of that's it makes choice. me feel it warm really and tingly. Good choice. Solid, solid, Carolyn. He cleaned up for that video. So this was another thing that MTV obviously was such a visual element that guys like 38 Special didn't fare particularly well. But uh, Bruce like bulked up and like glowed up for that video. Wait, I know one thing I wanted to say. You guys were going to ask me about the worst video of all time. I don't want to leave without talking about that. Oh, please. Can I I ask myself that question? Yes. Yes. Nancy, what's the worst video of all time? (laughs) The answer, 
Billy Squire rock me tonight. And here's why Billy Squire. And I remember this because, you know, younger sister, older sister, my sister, you know, you idolize the older sister. So my older sister was a huge fan of Billy Squire and he was a big rock guy and he was very successful and popular. He was filling like 15, 20,000 seat stadiums. So he's going to make the video for Rock Me Tonight, and he hires Kenny Ortega, who went on to choreograph yeah, everything. High School Musical. Musical. Dirty yes. Dancing. And he obviously was practicing during Rock Me Tonight because he dressed Billy Squire in these very fey skinny jeans long before skinny jeans were a thing, and like a ripped t-shirt. It was like a flash dance sequence. And Billy, you know, Billy Squire has said in a ton of interviews since, like, oh, I got screwed. Like, that guy took advantage of me. Sir, you were the one doing the dancing. Like, you yeah. could have stopped that train wreck. It is yeah. so horrifying. And his star plummeted after that video came out. And everybody knew it was going to be bad because it was just a disaster. But um, he went from being, like, a rock god to being, you know, a chapter in every book about MTV about what is the worst possible video, and that was mm. it. So that's another one to go watch. Besides David Bowie talking to Mark Goodman, just, you know, watch Billy, Squ Billy Squire rock me tonight and send him a, send him a thought. Thank you so much, Nancy. This was so great. Thank you so much for letting me take a walk down memory lane. And, you know, I have to still go back and watch a whole bunch more videos that I've been thinking of as we've been talking. Right. So, yeah, I encourage everyone notes. to do that. Everyone listening. It's really fun. You know, we all go back yeah. and watch movie clips and we watch stuff and they're all accessible pretty much on YouTube. So mm -hmm. think of, you know, make a list of the 10 videos that you loved. Just go back and watch them. It will just it will give you so much happiness. It will. And we have lots and lots of retro topics, music topics in our back pocket. Nancy, will you come back and talk with us again? I would love to. It's a pleasure. And I appreciate you. I mean, I am no kind of expert, believe me. But uh, I all I'll say is I definitely dug into MTV when it landed. So that's my expertise on this. And well, you're definitely the most expert. Um, yes, you are. On MTV, I've expert. ever talked to. So thank you. Mm -hmm. But yeah. You're a gin expert. expert. I oh, love expert. that. Mm -hmm. oh, I got to get my business cards reprinted. You know what? I'm going to call you that. A gen expert. I love it. <laughs> Thanks, you guys. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Nancy. And that is a wrap. Thanks for hanging out with us. And to quote Patty Smythe and another favorite video, goodbye to you. And join us next time when we'll be saving everyone's first girl crush, Christine McNichol. And we know you have a favorite video memory because what else would you be doing on a Friday night in 1983? So send us a message or comment on our posts on social media. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. And we'd love it if you'd leave a nice review and click those stars. It is the only way that um, more people will find us. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast. Courtesy of our friends at the Regal Beagle, Jack Tripper, Janet Wood, and Chrissy Snow. To good times. To happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. 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 Information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to me, the Crushologist, and Carolyn and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, I guess there's always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded at Modern Well, a woman-centered co-working space in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you.